so I didn't know this at the time, but when you start riding bikes on the road, you, um, everyone waves to you. You know, other bikers wave to you. You know, you ride by. You know, hey, yeah, yeah. I'm a biker. I'm riding right. Yeah, we're both being honest. We're riding. And it was interesting because, you know, we don't do this when we drive a car. And I go, hey, driving a car, driving a car. <laughs> we do this when we're biking. You know, we're biking. <laughs> so then I thought, well, I wonder if the biking is like also to, you know, motorcycles. So I'm going along and some motorcycles go by and I go, hey. And they look at me like, are you kidding? What are you doing? <laughs> And so I said, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's by the way I said hello, you know, maybe next time. So the next time I'm riding my bike and bikers go by, I went, <laughs> no, that didn't work either. So it's just bicyclists that wave. And sometimes it could be bicyclists, but they can wave when they're in a car, too, because there's one woman who is usually going to the work at the same time I'm going to the work, and she um, always honks after she passes me and waves. And you know that she's a biker because she doesn't honk before she passes. <laughs> you know, she waits until we go, and then she honks and waves. So, so there's definitely you know an affinity group, a kind of a new family that I'm in, which is I, I really like. And in this family, you know, there are you know snooty people, there are aggressive people, there are people that you know you're supposed to dress a certain way, there are people that have certain bikes that they want and they like you and they don't, you know, sort of like a family, you know, they're not all together, but we're all one in our shared experience of riding on the road. And we all have a shared knowing of riding on the road. And that's affinity groups that could be called families. It's a shared experience. It's a shared knowing. Reverend Keith Goheen talks about any group that has anything to do with some sort of meaning making has the resonances of family. And there are many different ways that we connect. It's true, Rick, to on Friday, my brother sent out an email to his friend group, his, his email group, which is another kind of affinity group, a kind of family, and just recalled where he was and what he remembers when JFK was killed. And all through the day, different people would write their own experience, their own remembrances. And everyone just sort of linked together in that, that little group. And many, of course, the whole nation was linking together in that group about where were you, a shared knowledge, a shared experience, a shared being on uh, JFK's um, assassination. And sometimes affinities can be very very small, very sort of ad hoc family units or ad hoc um, couplings can be very small. Because on the day of JFK's assassination, a police officer, J.D. Tippett, in trying to intercept Lee Harvey Oswald, was shot four times. He was killed. And Jacqueline Kennedy, having heard of this tragedy soon after, wrote to his widow, Marie Tippett, because of course everyone was course, paying attention to JFK and Conley, Governor Conley, who was um, wounded. And she wrote, what can I say to you? My husband's death is responsible for you losing your husband. Wasn't one life enough to take on that day? I lit a flame for Jack at Arlington, and that will burn forever. I consider that it burns for your husband, too. And so will everyone who ever sees it. With my inexpressible sympathy, Jacqueline Kennedy.
We bereaved are not alone, wrote Helen Keller. We belong to the largest company in all the world, the company of those who have known suffering. When it seems that our sorrow is too great to be borne, let us think of the great family of the heavy-hearted into which our grief has given us entrance. And inevitably, we will feel about us their arms, their sympathy, their understanding. We're creating and sustaining webs throughout our lives. And that creating, that sustaining, even trust in our vast relational web begins with the family of origin. Now for some, that has meant a lot of retraining of assumptions and healing and frankly, therapy. For others, the supportive strands were strong and empowering from the beginning, giving room to grow and bloom. Regardless of the nature of the families we were born into, they serve as a training ground for our relational lives. And in any case, in any circumstance in this room, there is richness within to guide us to wellness. Dear God, writes Nan in Children's Letters to God, I bet it is very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> there is no one way to be in a family. No perfect fa families. So throw out comparisons and judgment, at least for this hour. Throw them out. Each relational mix is unique. We do ourselves a disservice when we think anything that has life in this world can be crystallized into some perfect, perpetual form. In fact, that would mean that it would have no true life, no learning, no growing, no transforming, and so not real. Families are living institutions. They're flexible webs. What is true about all families is that we come to our relational lives through them. We find our first footing in society as a result of them, and we grow our communal lives from the connections we continue to make and our allegiances evolve as we do. A family is a group whose members are related by way of origin, covenant, blood, or choice. We do not always find the empowering family, value of family with our families of origin, and we're fortunate when we do. But those environments are not always available and variety of economic, circumstantial, emotional, or psychological reasons, we're all working out how to come to wholeness. And sometimes that creates wounds. And sometimes that creates wisdom. However, time does not stop, nor are our lives set in stone. We continue to create relational webs, either by committing to a partnership for life with another, dedicating love, uh, and support to a circle of friends, or reaching into our extended families, or finding shared loyalty in a way of being. We can create the deep familial love so yearned for, the one that stays with and pulls through any storm, the one that lets us be vulnerable and make mistakes and learn from them. It takes the joyful work of commitment, the commitment that above all else sings its meaning to the human family, helping it heal, giving it hope, 
challenging its fruition amongst all people. That's why there's so much public dialogue about family values. We create our world through the relational patterns we make. We regard one another by the assumptions of belonging. So who or what we value and bring to the table as essential in our dealings with one another shapes our world. We have the power to heal or harm, to bless or curse, to empower or diminish. Family values are the relational seeds which which from which the world values grow. And if you're like most religious liberals, you probably wince when you hear the phrase fam values. This phrase in the mainstream more often than not is used to put people on the defensive or to blame the ills of society on others or to used as a measuring stick for inclusion in political power circles and fundraising endeavors. <coughs> the phrase is used to enforce conformity and demonize difference. It is also used as a veil to justify oppression and deny civil rights. But family values for religious liberals are about the art and discipline of interdependence, the way of our existence. Family values are about the art and discipline of respecting one another, a core ingredient of love. Family values are about the art and discipline of community, a training ground for the world at large. In short, claiming and exercising our family values is ultimately about finding wholeness and well-being in the world as each enriched community emboldens the vision of harmony. One thing that I do when I ride my bike, especially on Sunday mornings, is I will pass a number of churches. We are in Churchville, after all. <laughs> and each time I pass a church, I just send out a wish, if I remember, I send out a wish, may truth um, envelop your community today. May you live in the love of truth. And I don't know how they're going to express their own truth, but I have a deep faith primordial trust in the universe and then that you know there is a truth that will bring us into harmony cosmic harmony so I just wish it upon them you know as I go because they're a family they're, they're struggling they're trying to figure it out too harmony is not the same as unison this distinction alone takes us in a far different direction that the assumption of family values in the religio-political speeches that dominate public discourse talks about unison one way of being the quality of strong families, however, John Dufresne, religious educator, writes, are appreciation and affection for each other, commitment to the family, positive communication, time together, the ability to cope with stress and crisis, and spiritual well-being. All these qualities are related to each other. Appreciation and affection, commitment to the family, positive, affirming communication, time together, the ability to go cope with stress and crisis, and the need for spiritual well-being. Liberal religious family values are based on faith in people, on the belief that goodness, compassion, and love need to be fostered, nurtured, encouraged, and praised until each of us blossoms into a life-affirming, justice-centered being, contributing to the vision of peace, the awareness of beauty, 
the knowledge of potential, and the understanding of abundance within us all. It's not telling others what's wrong with them. It's taking responsibility for ourselves, supporting one another in our growth, and spreading the good news of life's worth by example and affirmation. Now, this includes discerning what corrodes life affirmation, what distorts our sense of justice, what damages our trust in goodness, and our resolve to say no to destructive influences and addictions. Unitarian Universalists do not ignore immoral behavior or think that anything goes. We believe in our ability to grow and learn, teach and train each other to our better selves. We have a responsibility to demand justice, condemn persecution, expose bigotry and abuse, and not let abuse of power occur when we detect it. <laughs> you agree, don't you? Yeah. We do this by principled commitment, creating covenants of mutuality, support, nurturance, loyalty, acceptance of one another as we grow and change. And yes, we get irritated with one another. And yes, sometimes our skin crawls. And yes, we have to find inherent dignity deep within the whole unit. But that's what we're doing. The kind of this kind of work takes courage, perseverance, and enough sense to ask for help when we need it. It's a courage that believes in dignity within the struggles and doubts and fears. It's a courage that stands for self-improvement with others, not propping ourselves up at the expense of others. Liberal religious family values embrace the tensions, struggles, and discoveries of pluralism to model a peaceful kingdom. We work through difference into acceptance. There are infinite resources within us which resonate with the harmony of the universe. No one of us knows all of those resonances. This sacred sense of life can be cultivated into wisdom for wholeness and well-being. Which brings us back to the value of families. When we risk relating in a way that invites learning and growth together, we can find the infinite resources within. And if we're willing to believe that we're capable of finding those resources within, then any first training helps us find our way. Any first training helps us find our way. The road is tougher for some. But then again, it may mean the wisdom, harder were earned, goes deeper. Yes, the dysfunction in a family might lead to more clarity about what serves harmony, what not to do. In the best possible, we nurture each other to the fullness of our unique and beautiful being. When we fall short, we have to believe in that wholeness that can lead us to wiser ways of being. And the groundwork to do this is the inherent worth and dignity, is the belief in the beauty of the self. Now that can sometimes be hard because that is where the damage starts. It can happen in home families, it can happen in church families, it can happen in political circles, but we, Western folk, love to cultivate guilt. And guilt is what will have us not see the beauty of our being. Guilt brings the blame-shame dynamic. Guilt gives you an unpayable 
indebtedness. We can never get rid of this indebtedness, of this stain, of this wound or, or uh, fault in your being. So what we need to do is get rid of guilt. Just like John Crossan said, uh, a former uh, Catholic monk, guilt is like flatulence. Get rid of it. Because it wraps us in the spiral of shame, blame, self-loathing, self-pity, pride, defensiveness, vindictiveness, and victimhood. It's all this sort of argument about who we are, which is beautiful, blessed, and beheld, but we don't know that. So we spend most of our time dealing with that. We spend, our, that's where our addictions come from, trying to find a sense of wellness out of this feeling that we are not whole, that we are not right. So we need to shake that off. That's one thing that we have to work on. You know, there's this wonderful poem by Hafiz that I've quoted before that I really love. The sun never said to the earth, you owe me. Imagine what a love like that could do. It can light up the whole world. So we can learn from one another th the relational healing that we need. It needs to be relational healing because we are related people. And we have to do it with love. When we are victims, when we start to feel like victims, we attract predators. We will just attract that energy. And we will stay in the loop of things going wrong, feeling badly about ourselves. Because we're putting that out. We're people who feel badly about ourselves. So there's an energy that says, OK, let me feed off that. So we have to do it with love. We have to go and find our deep center of love within. Because when we are negative, we will attract negativity. And I don't mean ignoring negativity or injustice or abuse. I mean meeting it with love, letting it be what it was, not trying to get you know, revenge, not trying to say, it's your fault that I'm unhappy, just leaving it go, come back to find our whole and beautiful selves. Just do it. And I, when I say just do it, I don't mean, you know, like Nancy Reagan's just say no to drug. <laughs> I mean, I just, just, you know, work it. It's worthy work. It's worthy work to find yourself blessed, beheld, and beautiful. And it's work that we can do in families. It's work that we can do in affinity groups. But it's work that actually you need to do. And sometimes when we try to do that, we will come upon, we, we will be changing a family system maybe, you know. When we go into, say, Thanksgiving or something like that, sometimes we'll just go right back to being, you know, eight years old or whatever. You know what I mean? It just comes. That whole pattern of behavior, that pattern of relating happens again. And if you try to get out of that pattern of relating, there's going to be resistance, even tantrums. That we see this in the government right now. There are tantrums. We have a black president, and they hate it. You know, there's people that hate it. So they're throwing tantrums for years to try and disable the possibility of a, of, a greater, of a greater way of being with one another, right? So, and I know it's not that simple, but that's part of it. But, so I for example, it's like when you're on a diet, right? When you have to go on a diet. That's of course, I shouldn't say before Thanksgiving, but let's just say. 
you know, and you really, you know, it's hard. And there's somebody that you're with that really feels that they should go on a diet too, but they just don't want to yet. So you're eating with them, and they'll say, you want to try this piece of pie? And you'll say, no, no, really, thank you very much. Oh, come on, it's really good. Just a side, you know, no, thank you, you know. Oh, come on. Or, or at, you know, Thanksgiving, oh, Aunt Harriet made this pie. You should eat this pie. <laughs> it's like, can you work with me here? You know? But that's the same kind of thing. People don't want you to change the relational pattern that they're in. But if we find ourselves blessed, beheld, and beautiful, we need to just stay in that. And through nonviolent resistance, make a new truth happen. Stay with it. John Bradshaw, a uh, family therapist, talks about a family as a mobile. And it, you could tell in a no mobile, if you touch one part of the mobile, every part will go. So expect it, you know, expect it. And know that there's a, you know, a, um, uh, what's that called when things go after? A domino effect or a mobile effect of what's happening. But just stay with the love. Stay with that love that lights up the whole world, with the knowledge that you are blessed. And with nonviolent resistance, which includes verbal, I don't just mean physical nonviolence, I mean verbal nonviolence, to, uh, or even if you can do it, to stop the negative feelings or the thoughts towards the other. You will be able to create a new reality. So what I, I guess just want to say to you uh, to finish this sermon is that you are loved. I have no doubt about it. And that you can live that truth abundantly. You can find affinity with others. You can help folks. You can, knowing your suffering, you know that there are others, as Helen Keller would say. You're in a family folk that have experienced this. You are not alone, and you are loved. So may it be. Amen.